Welcome to the Not Almost There podcast. I'm Joe Chura, a former assembly line worker turned entrepreneur, founder, and CEO, but most importantly, a family man with a huge passion for continuous improvement. I'm hoping with this show, we can learn together and take action steps, little things every day to hopefully improve our life and inspire those around us to join the mission. Listen, now is the time. If you're looking for a new way to look at your goals, and if you're like me and can get stuck in a rut sometimes, a routine that just isn't doing it for you anymore, this episode is for you. Yes, I'm pointing at you. On today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jesse Itzler, who is an amazing human being with a pretty killer life resume. You have to check it out. But in this episode, we talk about how to create a life contract with yourself, and also how Jesse approaches goal setting, and so much more. So let's just get rolling. It's great to have you here today. So um, I know that you know one of the things you talk about is this life contract that you had created. Can you explain that a little bit and what that's about? Yeah, it was just um, a contract with myself and, and I can't really take credit for the, for the idea. I don't remember where I read about it or, but someone had mentioned that they did a contract with themselves where they wrote down kind of uh, the rules that they wanted to be governed by and a list of their non-negotiables. So that's something that I did. And uh, it's amazing because, you know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking, you know, like we have Siri, we have Google, we have Alexa, we have all these different things. And, um, you know, so sometimes it's good to just be quiet and think about like, well, what's important to me? And uh, so I did that. And uh, it's interesting when you put it on paper, what comes out of your head? It's not, you'll be surprised at what, what's really important. So I, I wrote a little contract with myself and I highly, by the way, I highly recommend it. It takes five minutes. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be kind to my kids and I'm going to, you know, be attentive to my wife and I'm going to thank God if you're religious and I'm going to do this and you put it down on paper and uh, it's powerful, man. One of the things I find is, is a lot of people start those kind of things, right? And I'm, I've been guilty of this too in my life where I start a plan. I have this plan. I lay it out. Hey, it starts tomorrow. My wife and I were you know, we would do that all the time. Like a few years back, we'd be like, hey, the diet starts tomorrow, which would give us a reason or an excuse to do something bad today, right? And what I loved about what you said is like, remember tomorrow. And one of the things I noticed and I was gonna ask you about like when it comes to like drinking or like overindulging in something, is that is that always something that you're you're thinking about or um, or what happens when when you do like just overindulge or you do do something that you forgot about tomorrow? Like, how, how do you go back? Just like if you have a plan and you craft it, but you maybe you get off course. Yeah, I mean, I, deprivation never works. So to me, I like it's like more my I, I live a lifestyle. I don't feel like I'm depriving myself. I'm not a big drinker. I don't say I never drink. I very, I very, very rarely drink three times a year, you know, and that's but it's just. I just don't like the way it makes me feel, you know, two days later, three days or, or the next morning. But so I don't, I, but if you, when it comes to like diet and stuff like that, if you look at it as, in terms of deprivation, it's not going to work. I prefer to think of it as lifestyle, but we all make mistakes and we all fall off the wagon. You know, one thing that I've done that's really helped me is instead of thinking of, in terms of day to day, I think of things weekly. Let me give you an example. Instead of thinking like, okay, I'm going to run five miles every day this week. I'm going to write 10 pages of my book. 
every single day this week. I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna write 10 pages. Inevitably, things happen. Your kids get hurt, you have to go to the doctor, an appointment happens, and like you miss days. So I started looking at things weekly. I'm gonna run 35 miles this week. I'm gonna write 50 pages this week. So it, it gives, we're human. It allows for human error. And I can now make it up. If I miss a day, it's not the end of the world. If I tell myself I'm gonna run every day, and I miss a day, I'm like, I lost. You know, I, 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 I didn't succeed, I failed. And if I give myself that leeway, because I didn't run yesterday or today, I do have a weekly goal, I'm just gonna pick it up the next two or three days. So that's really been a shift for me thinking in terms of, and I, for 50 years I was day. Every single day I'm gonna run this and this and this, and I shifted to the week, it took a lot of pressure off me. It took a lot of pressure off me. So that, that's really been helpful. But to go to, to your point, when I do you know, mess up or make mistakes or whatever, um, I don't beat myself up. I just say, you know, and same when I have big victories, I don't celebrate them for too long. I don't own a marquee, my own companies that I've had in the past, I have no pictures or hats. It's like, it's just, it's just I'm looking towards the next, towards the front window, not the rear window. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's that's a great point to think about things in weeks because you do kind of beat yourself up. But one of the things I realized lately, you know, on my kind of fitness journey is that I, I did start tracking calories because I felt like I needed to understand like what I was putting in my body. Because sometimes if you don't track it, or you don't measure it, you don't have a baseline. And what I realized that it wasn't the the, the day to day kind of calories because some days I'd be over, some I'd be under. Right. But it was the week. And then when I looked at the week, I was like, hey, I'm under. And guess what? When you get through a few weeks, then all of a sudden you start to see a different output and you start to see the results you were looking for. And it, it just, it makes a huge difference. So I th I'm so glad you brought that up. You were winning and you actually, it, you thought you were losing and you were actually winning. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And, and listen, I think tracking that and having a baseline and keeping data and being aware is amazing. But you know, we have to recognize it's just, inevitably we have we have arrows that come at us we have a plan and then all of a sudden something disrupts that day you know you have to get stitches something happens with someone especially if you have four kids so you know you have to allow for that yeah yeah it's worked really well for me and there's certain things that every that daily you know i do daily um but in certain things it's helped me to shift towards a, a weekly approach definitely what does a day look like for you now um I try to, you know, I try to get wins early on in the morning, just to get some momentum and everything else is gravy. I feel like if I can get some early morning wins, I always tell people if you feel overwhelmed or or um, you're spiraling, get a small victory. And I like to get mine in the morning. So I get up around uh, probably six thirty, and uh, now in the morning I spend the first hour and a half with my kids because I'm, I'm homeschooling them because of COVID. So we play basketball, we work out, or Usually we, you know, we do something together. And then when they go to school, I work, I work out. Uh, actually, I work from eight to, this is my exact day. Kids, 6.30 to eight. I work from eight to 10. I work out from 10 to one. I work from one to four, and then I shut it down. So um, I don't know, how, I don't even know how many hours that is of work versus working out. I'm working out, I block the time. So I know every day my three hour window is blocked for my work. I'm training for a race right now, that's why. And I really try to compartmentalize my days. So the, during my work time, you know, if I'm, if I'm working on something and then all of a sudden my wife calls me, 
I, I, let's say I'm writing a book or I'm in a meeting or I'm editing an email, whatever. I have to put the brakes on my entire thought process, shift all my energy over to whatever she's telling me about. Then when that's done, I have to like reconcile it in my head. Then I got to rev up again back into my book or whatever. I'm, it's, it's, it's a lot. So I really try to block that time. Like if I'm working, I shut it all down and I'm working. If I'm training, I'm training. I try to be where my feet are. I try to be super present. It doesn't always happen. And I tell my wife that, save it. You know, we, now we have, my wife and I have a 30 minute, 15 to 30 minute catch up at, at least three or four times a week, sometimes every day. So she doesn't have to call me and tell me that um, we have to get a, a birthday present for our son's friend two weeks from now. Like, I don't need to know that while I'm in the middle of writing my book. Tell me in our, in when we get together in our time. And it's been, it's made things way more efficient. So my day is, and my day starts the night before. I don't wake up and say to myself, what do I have to do today? People talk about morning routines. I'm a much bigger believer in evening routines, laying it out the night before. And we're recording this right now, it's late, um, but when I get home, when I get back to the hotel, uh, I'm gonna lay out my day for tomorrow and I'm just gonna follow the script. Because the best CEOs in the, in, in the world have multiple assistants. And when they come in to work, they get a printout of their entire day and they get whisked from appointment to appointment and meeting to meeting, it's super efficient. Most of us don't have multiple assistants, but we're also not good enough to just wake up and wing it. So having that little script the night before, do you write out your days pretty much the night before? Do you have them all mapped out? Yeah, so I, I look at my calendar, but I, I am, uh, I'm a big believer in getting the wins in the morning. I wake up yeah. at 5.30, I have to work out with my wife every single day, we, we work out together. So we have 5.30 to roughly around seven o'clock, take care of the kids, then, then I start work. When I get into work, I have things blocked on my calendar yeah. and I do time blocking and I do time blocking two hours for, for myself to do a jujitsu class, which is my, my goal for 2021 to be in a, a tournament, which I didn't even start jujitsu. So that's, that's, that's my Misogi. That's my Misogi. So I don't know if that's a smart one to do at my age of being 42, but I I'm like, it. you know what, I'm going to do it and I'm going to go after it. And, and I want to win the tournament. So I, I have a lot of work to do because I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm really excited about it. Well, we, it sounds like we have a pretty similar routine in the sense of you know, it, it's so your day is sort of scripted and time blocked, yeah. which is very similar to mine. It's like work mode, workout mode, sit with my wife, kids. It's all kind of like compartmentalized, which makes for tremendous efficiency yeah. versus scramble. The, the issue, though, that I have admittedly is that because my company has grown and now we're we are part of a larger uh, public company during my workday, Many days I start playing defense and I don't like that feeling. I don't like the feeling of playing defense. I don't like the feeling of problems coming at me. Every day there's something that happens, right? And I learned a while ago that, that in order to get through a day, you have to wake up in the morning and think, man, something's, some, and this is a negative thought, but like you have to accept the fact that something fucked up is gonna happen. Yeah. Like something, like, and it, it doesn't have to be bad, but if you wake up with like, hey, today is something, it's gonna probably happen. 
you have thousands of clients, you have almost a thousand employees, you combine those, the probability of something happening oh, yeah. is great. Oh yeah. So, so in order to accept that, cause I used to be like, oh my God, what's gonna, you know, why'd that happen? And then I was like, hey, it's something's gonna happen. You like, just recognize just gonna, it, yeah. You know, so then I started playing defense and I don't like that feeling. I'm trying to control that more. Yeah, and that's part of it, but you have the structure down. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Totally. Now, I noticed recently that, you know, especially with, with your wife, Sarah, you guys are now exposing more of your life on social media, right? Was that a decision you made like together or did it just naturally happen? And then are there limitations now with your calendar that you're saying, hey, after such and such time, I'm not going to post or I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z or, or. Yeah, I don't have a social media strategy. It's <laughs> like if I feel if it's both Sarah and I, I think feel that if it's funny, inspiring or informative, it's something we can post, we should post. Um, if it's not, we're not just like posting to post, you know? Um, and I'll go, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not like I post every Tuesday at three o'clock. Yeah. Um, it's just whatever emerges or, yeah, but it's a great vehicle, you know, to, to get information out. And um, Sarah has a, has a big platform. She, you know, it's a, she's got like a mini, it's like a mini cable station she's running through her Instagram. So, um, and she enjoys it. I think there are times when I'm like, I just want to get off Instagram because it's, I'm pr primarily on Instagram. And as, aside from people commenting and I feel guilty if I don't respond and I do it all myself. Yeah. Um, I also like, so that takes time. And then I like to, to engage and, and go through other people's stuff. It's interesting to me. So, um, but yeah, we, we have parameters around at dinner, we shut down at night, you know, we have, but it's definitely something that is a work in progress. Yeah, it's great. And um, I know we had, we had talked earlier, but I wanna bring it up again about um, children and parenting. So, so, you know, watching those videos and everything you guys are doing, you guys seem like just awesome parents and really involved with your kids. One of the things that I struggle with as a parent is um, adversity. I, I feel like in my, because of the things that I went through in my life and the struggles I went through, I had to find other ways. I had to hustle in different ways. I had to not be comfortable many, many times. And yet my kids now are kind of reaping the benefits of that. And when you combine that with the lack of like exploration outdoors and then, you know, going outside to play with kids like we used to play block tag or jumping off roofs or, or being crazy. I'm just wondering, like, how, how do you how do you um, combat that? Or like, do you have techniques? Are you doing anything to evoke adverse adversity to your children in any way? Well, I mean, they they we talk about a lot of the things that my wife and I do. So if I'm training for a race, we try to give, we have family dinners, we talk about this stuff, my training, the commitment, what went through my mind. So like they're getting a lot of information from both Sarah and I just at dinner and being around and they see the commitment and um, we praise the effort, never the results. We're always complimenting them on their work ethic. ethic. Um, so instead of, wow, you scored a goal today in soccer, it's like, it was really fun to watch you hustle and try so hard today. Or all the practice that you've done this week really paid off this week. You know, it's all about the effort. Um, but to actually like simulate adversity, 
Um, if you asked Sarah, she would say no. But I, I cannot, with honesty, look you in the eye and say that I don't push my kids you know, or encourage them to get uncomfortable. We have a cold plunge. I encourage them to get in. I don't force them. I don't, you know, but um, I don't prevent them. And you had, the, you had that story where you, you took your son too, right? Overnight and uh, you guys camped yeah. in the freezing cold yeah. as well. Yeah, when he was nine, we went to Mount Washington in New Hampshire and we camped out in like minus five degree overnight snow. It was amazing. It was still, you know, I don't know. Let's see, there's 365 days in a year. So in the last five years, from when my son was between five and 10, he was on earth for roughly 1,700 days. How many of those days does he remember? 10, 20? Like how many, seriously, 1,700 days, yeah. 30 things. This is like the number one memory. You know, it's just so, it's just such like a thumbprint. Um, and I try to do one of those a year with my kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you, uh, you've obviously have been very successful in many ventures, Marquis Jets, uh, coconut water, the wrapping. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on. It's, and it's your story is hilarious at the same time. Super inspiring. What is, what do you, what's next? What's your big goal that you're going after right now? Yeah, well, let me just point out, I've also been unsuccessful at many things too. Yeah. You know, not everything worked and not everything was easy. And I still have things that work and don't work. Um, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I've been in many different careers from aviation to beverage to music to this, and now I'm a dad. And, um, but I love newness and I love challenges. So I'm enjoying this coaching program. I'm enjoying uh, writing another book. Uh, I'm enjoying the speaking. I just, uh, I'm gravitating towards things that just make me feel fulfilled. So, and that changes, it could change. I get excited about something, I might drop something. I'm, that's, a, that's one of the great things about being where I am in my life in my 50s and having built businesses is I really just try to do things. If someone said they wanted me to, to invest or run or be involved in a tobacco company, I wouldn't, even if it was gonna be as big as Google, I wouldn't do it. It's not, it doesn't do anything for me. So I get to play in the lanes that's all for the right reasons and that feels good. Is, is your next book going to be another living with book? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, it's right now it's tentatively called fruit till noon. It's a health and wellness book, but it was inspired by my friend Harvey diamond who passed away. And while I didn't live with him, I did sort of live with him through the phone. We had weekly calls almost like Tuesday with Maury. And, um, so I don't know if I'm going to make it a part of the living with series, but he's a co-author although he's, you know, he passed away. He's a co-author of the book. And um, so I'm working on that right now. Yeah. That's great. And you're, you're living with the monks. I highly recommend people to check out that book and, and your stories around that. And I just remember profoundly in that book, the moment where you were, you were kind of alone and, and for the first time, and I like pictured myself where, where you were and you're like, all right, guys, what do we do now? And they're like, just wait till tomorrow. And it's like 6 p.m. or something. And you're like, but what do we do until then? And they're like, just sit and think. And, and you're like, and you're like, 
one like 30 seconds into it or like a couple minutes and you and you like thought it was like 20 minutes or like 30 right. minutes had went by already right that's hilarious yeah because like if i was home i put on espn yeah. or i put on like the news and there there was nothing and you know how slowly time goes when you're in a 10 by 10 room with just a bed and a light and it's dark and quiet i mean it's freaky man and then extend that for two weeks it's not e- it was not easy yeah. it was not easy the hardest part about being on a monastery, and I was there with eight monks that had been there for 50 years, was the isolation. I felt like I was in a world, trans, like universes away from what was going on. I just felt so disconnected to the hustle. Part of that was good, but part of that was like, you know, I've, I've grown, I've acclimated to that, to the noises, to the chaos. And when you strip yourself from that, it's not like it's instant relaxation. It's like you freak out. It's the opposite. You think, oh, yeah. it's quiet. I'm just going to relax. <laughs> yeah. No, you freak out. Like someone makes some fucking noise here. <laughs> you know, like, would you guys talk louder? You know, it's, it's weird. And, and you said it, that I think they've like watched TV for a half hour a week or something yes, like that. And they. the TV is like centralized. Yeah. There's one TV. Yeah. <laughs> one TV. Yeah. It's one channel. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you have three channels, CBS, yeah. ABC, and NBC. It was like that. So now, when you do these experiences, do you go into them thinking like, hey, I'm going to do this to write a book? Probably with Goggins, I'm thinking maybe that wasn't the case, but with the monks, was it? Yeah. So with Goggins, no. I wrote the book five years after he lived with me. Right. Five years later. And the, Gog- the Living with the Seal wasn't even about Goggins at first. It was a memoir. And then as I wrote that chapter, I just said that, that really is the premise of the book. And let me work some of my stories into it. Um, the monks was it was a it was always teed up in my head to be a sequel, or a series, a living with series. Got it. So if you had another living with aside from the the fruit till noon and the Harvey Diamond kind of story and your your stories with him, what would what's another living with that you're thinking about or or that that Sarah? Yeah, <laughs> with Sarah, just like make it a parenting <laughs> book or. Um, Wim Hof, I thought about before he got big, like where he is now. Um, I don't, I don't, I never like think like, I don't force that. If I find someone interesting or something, Harvey, interesting or compelling that I would want to live with, but I, I wouldn't like just go live with, you know, someone just to, just to do it. Yeah. Just write a book. Totally. What did you like? You don't go to work to make money. Yeah, you go to work because you love it, and you know. I was just curious if you were already working on something like that, like yeah. you know, if there's something else. The uh, Wim Hof breathing compared to you know that compared to um, other like meditation or mindfulness, right? There's tons of apps out there. There's what I would say mindfulness, and then there's Wim Hof, which which to me, for me personally, seems like it's the most effective. Yeah. Um, type of breathing because you get results pretty quickly and just his techniques are, you know, for lack of better words, awesome. What did you, do you practice that daily? Is that part of your, your daily ritual? Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't say, I don't, it's one of the things I don't say I would do weekly every day because I tried to do that and I couldn't, but I just try to do it three or four times a week. And I, I, and sometimes I get seven, sometimes I get three, but I love it. Because to me, it's breath work and meditation. It checks a lot of the boxes for me. You know, I like the feeling. I really like holding my breath. I, I don't love, 
the deep breathing that much, but I love the yeah. holding your breath. Did you do any of that? Like, did you know the Wim Hof method when you were living with the monks? Yes. And were you practicing any of that there? Uh, well, you know, I went to Poland and I, li I stayed with Wim for a week at his house in Poland. Was that before? After. Okay. It was, it was last year. And that's when I really kind of got better and understood the, the technique with him really working with me for a week. I mean, you don't need that. You could download the app and learn it, but to have the master himself guide you. And then, uh, so now I feel, so now and I held my breath for four minutes the other day. When I first did, uh, I, was, I, was, I made a list of 50 things I wanted, to, I wanted to learn and master in my 50s that I never knew how to do. Everything from playing, you know, like backgammon and driving a stick shift, which I never learned, to free diving and ballroom dancing and all this stuff. And one of them was free diving. So I got tested to see how long I could hold my breath underwater. And I thought, I've run 100 mile races. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to hold my breath for eight minutes, you know? And they put me underwater and I held my breath for 29 seconds. Apparently there's no correlation between fitness and holding your breath underwater. And I freaked out. I, the sensation of it, it freaked me out. And now I'm up to four minutes. I don't know what I would do underwater, but I think I could get pretty close to that. So it's just about, and here's the thing. I went from 30, this is wild. I went from 30, 29 seconds in one session. So on my second session, I went from 29 seconds to three minutes. Wow. So it just, it just goes to show you how technique and learning can increase your ability, you know, yeah. fivefold, sixfold, just by learning the proper technique. It's wild. Think about how more efficient you could be if we knew, if we knew those techniques in everything. Yeah. Um, that the one place that I thought time stood still was when the first time I went in an ice bath and put my head underwater for 10 seconds. It felt oh. like it was 20 minutes. And I was like, and they were tapping you after 10 seconds. And I'm like, when are they going to tap me? Someone forgot about me. And you're going through all these, you know, things yes. in your mind, like they forgot about me and you're going to drown under here. I, I couldn't believe that. What were some of the things you learned with, with Wim that aren't, cause I just finished his book. It's awesome. He's, and I'm so glad like the book is filled with a lot of uh, great techniques, but I think it's also an important book for him to prove through the scientific community. Like he has a lot of proof points in there. Right. And he, it seems like he's really fighting for, for, um, you know, oh, yeah. people to oh, yeah. understand what he's really doing. Yeah. You know, what are some of the things that you learned out there that wouldn't be in the book? I think just his lifestyle, you know, his attitude, he lives a very simple life, but a full life and fulfilled life. Uh, I think everybody, but I think he wears it all out there. You know, everybody knows he loves nature and he loves the cold and he loves experiences. He loves people. Um, so there, I, there were no surprises for me. Has his training helped you with, with the cold weather? 100%. And with running and everything. Yeah, when I practiced it pretty religiously, yeah. it, it's really helped me with my running. That would have been uh, interesting if you had known that technique before Goggins broke that, uh, you know, yeah. took a rock and <laughs> broke the lake open and had you jump in it. Yeah. Well, the, key, like, to, I got the this. key to the cold water is just surrendering. Yeah. It, it, his breathing and whatever, it, that's, it, that's, at the end of the day, you can't fight the cold. You have to just, you're never going to win. Yeah. So you just surrender. No. And it takes time to learn how to do that. You can't just go in there and be like, I'm going to surrender. 
You have to just <laughs> learn how to surrender. Yeah. Um, so who, who or what inspires you besides, I know Sarah is a huge point of inspiration. Aside from Sarah, like the people that would be listening to this podcast, um, your, your lessons are extremely valuable and everything that kind of you've done in your life. Like I, like I said a few times during this conversation is, is awesome. But who, who do you look to, to, uh, you know, grow outside of yourself and outside of, you know, pushing hard. I have a lot of virtual mentors that aren't even famous or known that I just like the way certain level, certain areas of their life they live. And um, some of them I don't even know, you know, I just scroll and I'll see something that inspires me. That's why I like to kind of surf through some of the social stuff. Um, But I get bits, my life is a compilation of other people's systems and methods that I've tried and, you know, and pulled from this one and pulled from that one. And, you know, they always say, you hear people like surround yourself with like-minded people. I like this. Why? You're going to get the same results. I like to surround myself with interesting people that aren't like me or don't come from the same background that I come from. Because that's where I really, I love interesting people. I love people with counter- philosophies, Harvey Diamond, Fruit Till Noon, you know, the way David thought, the monks, um, great entrepreneurs, whim. These are all these people, they have a different perspective that they can give me other rather than like what I was taught in Roswell, Long Island, mm. you know, and that I'm a compilation of that. I've taken little bits and thrown others away and kept some and keep adding on nuances and that's it. So I, I, I like putting myself in a position where I can meet really inspiring people. That's the kind of reason why you have a podcast, not just to, for you, but you introduce people to the world with, you know, and people either um, believe it or try it and it works or they don't. Yeah, definitely. And it's called Not Almost There because um, I was running the Chicago Marathon in 2015 and mile 13, this guy holds up the sign, says Not Almost There, and I'm like, shit, he's right. And at that point, I, I mean, I, I didn't really run anything. I went from like not running at all to running a marathon. I mean, I, I, I trained a little bit for it, but you know, one of the things that, um, that I realized during that, and as I was kind of growing up and growing my business, is I always like frowned on someone saying I was successful. Like right. I just didn't like that word. And I said, you know what, if I sell my company one day, you can call me that, you know, and people would be like, what you, you have employees and you're, it seems like you're doing great. I'm like, it could end tomorrow, right? So I went on, I had success there, meaning um, not present tense, but, but I had an exit and I thought I would feel different. And you've had a few. And I realized that it was the journey. It was not about getting to that plateau. Because once I got there on top of that mountain, I was like, there's another mountain right over there. Right, yeah. I mean, I take time to, to slow it down and, and smell the roses too, but I do skew heavily on what's next. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, it's, it was awesome to spend time with you. Thank you for being a part of Refuel oh, on this podcast. Pleasure, and uh, thank you very much. I loved it, man. Thank you. <laughs>